Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss the fact that Intel confirmed listening to this podcast. Well, we think so anyways, based on what's happening. And we're going to share some new insights, all the rumors and everything we're hearing on the Intel GPU lineup. It's some very exciting stuff, so you want to stay tuned for that. Then we head to Camera Corner, where Wendy is going to discuss the understanding of metering and metering modes. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what do you got for us? So this is weird. I've got a, a few things, but we're going to focus on one. So I'm going to save some other stuff for some later episodes because I, I actually have too many things to talk about this week. What? I That's know, amazing. Right? It's weird. But I wanted to talk about the new laptop that I got, and that is the HP Envy X360. And yeah. it is a very, very nice laptop. And it was kind of funny because we have an, uh, an unboxing video on Ryan's channel, on the DOS Geek channel, because I went to his house and I pulled out my ancient laptop and he couldn't help but make fun of me about it. Uh, so, which is also a fair point. It was, it, I, I, it was brand new in 2010 and I didn't Wendy, even buy it Wendy, new. Ho hold on, Michael. Wendy, this yes. laptop he brought over to my home was so embarrassing. It has an it had an RS two thirty two port still in it, a CD rewriter, <laughs> but that wasn't bad. You know, old stuff's good. It's fine, but the fact that the trackpad itself <laughs> was the size of a regular toothpick, <laughs> and Michael's hands. You know, Michael's a tall dude. He's got big hands, and he's trying. Oh, he's got his feet up on the couch, his knees <laughs> pressed up. He's trying to move this his fingers around so that he can edit an image that we were working on. And it was so pathetic. I'm like, Michael, just stop. We're going to Best Buy. You're going to get a real laptop. What's the, it's great because when he said it's the size of a toothpick, he's not exaggerating. He went and got a toothpick to compare it to the touchpad. And it's wow. so bad. So I took him into Best Buy, and he's like a kid in a candy store looking at all this new technology. And I actually gave him, like, I narrowed it down to a couple choices, and he went and picked this one. So really, he picked it on his own with a little tiny bit of help, and it's a really nice laptop. Tell us about it, Michael. All right, so this is the HP Envy X360, and it is a very nice 15.6-inch uh, laptop with a Ryzen 7 5700 uh, CPU, and it's got the Radeon graphics, APU stuff, and it is just so good, and it's super powerful. I think it's got 8 gigs of RAM. I don't remember that part, but it is so nice to use, and the, the touchpad on this one is gigantic in comparison. Side by side, line them up. It is just kind of hilarious how small the other one was. And this laptop is just awesome. I am a big fan of this thing. It, it looks great. It's It's got top firing speakers, which is uh, something I know yeah. Ryan appreciates. Nice. And, and, yeah. And it's also the thing I wanted to get it for was because it's a fairly large screen, but also a two-in-one screen. So it has touch functionality and it has 
like a pen t- technology. So you could do a drawing with it, like a tablet sort of thing. So yeah. I tested it when I got to, when we got it and we got back to Ryan's, I used his uh, pen to test it out and I could use it and draw and like do some sketches with Krita. And it was, it was fantastic. Now I need to get a pen. So he's making me become an more even hardware. more hardware addict person. <laughs> yeah. So I need to get a pen for it, but it was very nice. Now there so much I could say that it is great about it. But the only thing that actually bothers me about this laptop so far that I've found is the fact that the fingerprint reader replaces a key on the keyboard rather than just kind of having it off to the side. And that is not necessarily bad depending on what key it is. But it turns out I really hate the key they replaced, which was the right control. And I use that all the time. Uh, And I didn't realize how much I used it until I didn't have it. So that fingerprint reader being there is slightly irritating, but that's the only negative I could come up with for this laptop. I've been loving using it and it's been just fantastic. I I wasn't really a person who ever used a laptop because I had that old ancient one. And now that I have this one, I'm using it a lot more as you imagine. Yeah, it's got a very beautiful IPS screen in it. It has the eight gigabytes plus DDR4 RAM, so it's very fast RAM in there. And the whole system working together is just really fast boot up. Tell them what OS you put on this beautiful HP Envy. Video we talked about, I mentioned earlier, is about the unboxing. That was actually a live stream. So we had the live chat vote on which OS I should put on it. And they voted for Garuda Linux, which is an Arch Linux-based distribution and it is, I can confirm, it is still on the laptop. Nice. There you go. It's very solid, very solid for this lineup. So HP has come a long way in their quality line of laptops. Now, I'm not talking about the ones you go pick up for three, 400 bucks, but anything that's 800 and above, they really have increased the quality on. I've shown at least four different types of laptops on my channel. Now we have the HP NVX 360. I've done the HP Spectres. I've done the Omens and the Dragonfly and several other HPs. I even have an HP Chromebook here, which I can't wait to get rid of. I just got to do the hardware review on it and then I'm going to boot it right out the door. But the hardware is beautiful in it. Uh, The OS, not so much. But the, the point is HP has a really clean supply chain. And that's one of the reasons why I recommend HP. And if you stayed away with them because their products had a really bad run there for a while, I understand. But just know they've come back around in a pretty big way. Yeah. And Michael, I think you can confirm that maybe your thoughts on HP of the past changed since holding that. I can tell you that my opinion of HP's laptops have changed completely. I I would actually say that just for quick reference, I used to have an HP laptop many, many years ago before I got that ancient one. And that was, and it was a very powerful laptop and it worked well, except that it was get hot all the time and the battery went, you know, it went out very quickly and all these other issues. And it didn't look that good. It kind of looked clunky or whatever, but that was the, that was the HP of old. This one is much cleaner, much nicer. Like the branding even looks good. Like most of the time you get a computer and you look at the branding on your device, on your whether it's your monitor or whatever, it's always like gaudy or tacky and that kind of thing. This is the got like metal engraving sort of thing. It looks very nice. Even that part, I have no problem with. And I've even when I show people I got a new laptop, I even show them the logo. It's like, even that looks good. Like this is a completely changed, like this is a hundred percent pivot from the last time I had an HP. 
And I do not regret getting this one whatsoever. And in fact, I'd even say that the previous examples of uh, like laptops that I always thought were fantastic, like the Sony Vio, I would say that this kind of fills that gap of the high-end, high-quality laptop that I wanted to be able to have a Linux system on. And I think we, I think I found it. Very, very nice. So, Wendy, what have you been up to in the hardware world? After episode 70 of DLN Extend, I was given a challenge by a community member on the discourse form. If you haven't listened to 70 yet, we spent a whole lot of time just gushing over Pine64, all of their open hardware, and this was before we knew about their latest edition, which would make us gush over Pine64 that much more. But in that thread, the community member says, hey, I am giving you a challenge to use the Pine phone as your device for a solid 48 hours. And I really, really want to take this challenge. The problem I'm having is I can't seem to get my SIM card to work in the device. I actually spent a whole bunch of time on Saturday night trying to figure it out and getting this hardware to work with my SIM card. I don't know if it's the current version of Plasma Mobile from Manjaro that I've got on the device. Maybe this version has some of the issues. Maybe it's my SIM card that's being the issue. But this is my goal before we meet again is to have the PinePhone 48 challenge done where it is your main device for talk and text for a full 48 hours. And part of this challenge is you need to have some help maybe from some friends, especially if you don't get calls or text messages a lot. Just have them send you an extra few at this time so you get to see really how the device performs and functions as your everyday real-world phone. Very interesting. So Pine creates some fantastic hardware out there, and then they release it to those who don't know into the community to kind of develop the software Manjaro is the base OS that they're using for Pine phones by default. So that's what you're going to leave it with. You're going to do a 48 hour challenge, text calls, everything else with the Pine phone only. And if at the end of that 48 hour challenge, Wendy, everything works, are you going to switch to it full time? I'd say why not? So one of the parts of the challenge, if you decide to take this challenge too, out there, fellow listeners, is you can use your other your current everyday phone still as a media device because I know a lot of people have things on their iPhones or their Android phones that say maybe your Pine phone can't do yet. Those applications just aren't available. So as part of the challenge, you can still use your other phone as a media device, but the Pine phone has to be your actual, you know, phone. Nice. And then hopefully if you run into any issues, you can report it up to the Manjaro team, ARM team, and they can get those resolved and fixed. But I think that's cool. I can't wait to hear how this challenge goes for you. And I'm rooting for the Pine phone here. So I hope it comes out successful for you. Me too. I Once I get the bugs fixed and figure out why my SIM card isn't working in the device, I am ready to go full force with this challenge. Michael's not the only one with a brand new CPU and his brand new laptop. What do you got going on, Ryan? See, I got this new AMD ATI Radeon RX 6700 XT video card, and it's beautiful. Barely fits in the Leon Lee TU150, as Michael calls it, lunchbox, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful card. It's just been 
blowing me away with the performance. And then I, you know, was opening up my system settings and I was looking at that 3700X going, oh, you're so old. <laughs> you only have eight cores and 16 threads and you're, you know, 3700. That is so now, disappointing. I, I can't it, believe you took so long to get. <laughs> so disappointing. So I was sitting there looking and I saw a sale happening on the Ryzen 7 5800X CPUs and I clicked buy. And I'm just waiting for it to show up because unlike Michael, the second this thing comes in here, I plan in my head to do a video on it. But most likely what I will do is just rip my computer apart, put the new CPU in and then tell everybody about it instead of a video because I can't control myself. I'm going to try. Here's a tip. In order to make sure that you do the unboxing and show off the CPU as you're opening it, you have to have your camera and lights set up before the device shows up because if it's not we just can't help ourselves it has to be opened and go in the computer so have your set ready to go like on the day you know that it's coming that's a really good tip there that might just might i might have enough patience to go ahead and click record then if i have everything <laughs> already set up and then rip everything apart and put this new cpu in place the 5800X, of course, architecturally redesigned from the 3000 series, everything from the new routes on how the cache and intercourse communicate. So all of these things are going to make a big difference. They're looking at somewhere between a 5 and 6% improvement in your clock speed there and an overall improvement, 19% over the Ryzen 3000 series. So it's not a huge, huge jump, but it's more than I have now, and it's not this old belongs in a museum 3700x here uh, here's the you know, truth ryan was feeling jealous that i have a ryzen 9 and he just needed to step up his game that's it's very <laughs> wait you have a ryzen 9 i do okay i gotta sell this 5800x then. <laughs> darn it i'm going threadripper people threadripper it lasted four seconds <laughs> <laughs> before i needed an Thing is, mine's again. the older generation Oh, okay. Well, in that case, ha, Wendy. <laughs> You're just still newer, but Good. that's it. You yes. just needed to, you know, one-up me. Newer and faster? Much, Probably. Much faster. I like how you said the, you know, the ancient 3700X, as I sit here looking at my 2700X, like, it's, it looks pretty, it's pretty powerful. I like it. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. <laughs> this is how we know Ryan is a true hardware addict. That's right. And I haven't told my wife about this yet, so I'm hoping I can intercept the box before <laughs> she sees it. You but need to we'll intercept see. the box because she's still aware how much you just spent on a new GPU? Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Part. Let's not talk about it too loud. She might be listening. This episode of Hard Radix is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. And with managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. You simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle, well, everything. The provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, the backups, and the security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together they have ensured that you will get access to all of the latest releases of MongoDB's document database as they become available. As a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. 
actually better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. That's M-O-N-G-O to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So there was some news this week that got me really excited. It got me thinking, Intel's listening to this podcast. They have to be. When I tell you, Michael and Wendy, what this is about, you're going to be like, yes, because we've we've talked about this. We begged Intel in a prior episode to do something about this, and, and they did here. So last time we covered Intel GPUs, we mentioned the lack of excitement their naming convention for their GPUs generates. Well, we're all excited. I'm super pumped, truly, about what Intel can do in the GPU market. I think there's so much room for another player here besides NVIDIA and AMD. Their naming up to this point did not make anyone dream about putting an Intel GPU in their PC alone. Nobody was going to be really <laughs> excited about putting the XCHPG into or DG2 into their system. You mean the alphabet soup? The alphabet <laughs> soup, right. Now, for geeks, they want to know the underlying microarchitectures and the naming and stuff. That's fine. But when you're going public with it, you need something like a Threadripper name or a Ryzen in there. And Intel, listen to this the episode, sure of it, and officially announced its graphics product lineup under a new over-encompassing name, Arc. I think that is way better. It's I, I assume it's based on like architecture or something like that. So... It's, I wouldn't say it's like a Threadripper style good name because the Threadripper is a fantastic name, but the Intel Arc is a thousand percent improvement to their previous alphabet soup. Their tagline for it is every story has an arc. So that was like the, the basis for it. And they're really digging into video gamers here when you look at how they're going to name this stuff. So they released a teaser video talking about how important gaming is to them, mentioning the 3 billion gamers now worldwide, and they want to get into the gaming market. So they didn't shy away from it, of why they're interested, why they're changing the name, why they're kind of pushing forward. And they said a lot in this video about no compromise, buttery smooth graphics, they're releasing all their assets that they have into making this lineup work well with gamers, which I think is a genius move on their part and certainly kind of starts to bury what we've seen with the first DG release out there, which didn't really blow anybody's socks off. It wasn't meant to be a gaming card, but people were trying to use it as one, if you recall when we talked about it. But this is them kind of reinventing all of this, which I think is really exciting. I like that they made a video and in it, the people who are working on the cards, the architecture and things were talking about how they're gamers and there's no compromise in what they're willing to do here. So they got all the words right. And that's <laughs> kind of step one, right? Yep. Step one, get marketing right. Uh, I do think that they are, uh, th it's very nice to see that they're focusing on gaming. So I, I'm really happy to see that they're doing that. And especially like you making it you know, more easily to recognize what they're, you know, calling things. Because, I mean, when they were doing the alphabet soup previously, I, I got bored almost instantly. So it didn't even matter if they were great chips or whatever. It just, sure, I'm not a hardware addict yet. But that's also probably the most 
per highest percentage of the market is people who are interested, but not fully addicts yet. So having a name focused on that is a much better approach because it's just easier to convey like the information about something versus the 10 G 400 X Z that's not right probably, but it's close enough. Well, and it's one of the things that even the other companies were doing. You have at least a base name for the card that gives it some sort of a recognition. And this is a, definitely a step in the right direction. I couldn't agree more. I think there's they're definitely going after the market that we were hoping Intel would come in and go after. And when we talk about Alphabet Soup, I couldn't help but think about how the upcoming Intel Arc graphics, this was a line that they had, are based on the XE HPG microarchitecture, which is a convergence of Intel's XELP, HP, and HPC microarchitectures. That type of alphabet soup, <laughs> for those wondering what we we're talking about. The kind that sounds like you're just vomiting up letters. Yeah, I'm just making stuff up as I go. This first generation is based on that HPG microarchitecture and the code name for the first card, Michael. So you've got the overall called Intel Arc. The first card is going to be known as the Alchemist instead of the DG2. Hmm. So that's interesting. DG2 is definitely not a good name, but the Alchemist is an interesting choice. Honestly, it's kind of weird, but at the same time, it's better than I would have guessed they would have done. So I'm okay with it. I think it's cool because it's kind of, they're taking like, when you look at what they're doing with their other cards, so once they're done with Alchemist, they also are, have announced Battle Mage, Celestial, and Druid cards. So they're naming them after classes that you would pick inside of oh. an RPG. And I think that's really, really fun. Okay. I love it. I was judging it based on the alchemy part of it and like the where I didn't know what the like the basis for those names were. But I think that's very cool, ma making it based on actual gaming ter terminology. And it, I kind of don't even care which level this is. I kind of want the Druid. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And, you know, for me, I'm a huge fan of Full Metal Alchemist, so I feel like I need the Alchemist card in here because it's such a great anime and, uh, you know, I need something to match it there. If you're a Full Metal Alchemist fan, you're going to want to run the Alchemist GPU in your system. This makes sense. Fair point. Yeah. Wendy, which card, based on the name alone, because we have no specs here, <laughs> which one do you want to be the card you put in your system? Here's the thing. I am not an RPG game player, so I have no idea. I, the ones that jump out at me the most would probably be the Celestial one. Celestial, okay. Yes. I was thinking you would look for something more dark since we know you like spiders and stuff like that, like Demon Lord or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I actually want the, like, I want the Druid or the Battle Mage, and I don't have any reason for why, uh, but I, I do like those names the best. So they're definitely having fun with this, and that's what I like to see come from Intel, a company that has really, over the past few years, in my opinion, kind of just felt like it's run by suits, really boring suits that don't really understand their market. And this is me seeing them get some people on board, especially with some of the recent hiring that they're doing, that is people who are passionate about the product, not just what they can do for their stockholders in here. Obviously, this is going to help that too. 
but they're bringing the people in who know how to drive that market. Now, Intel had previously launched DG1, and we talked about this card. It was only released for system builders, which performs a lot like the NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1030 in there. But this Alchemist, however, the rumors are right now that it's going to be close to the RTX 3070 in terms of performance. And based on some of the footage that they're showing here on the pre-production cards, this is Intel's official footage showing the Metro Exodus, Forza Horizon 4, PUBG, and even Crisis. These games did run buttery smooth. Now, we don't know what conditions... Isn't Intel the one that kind of got caught using like liquid nitrogen on a processor? Yeah, or something? back when they did, yeah. I think it was them when they did the the first uh, one gigahertz processor back in like the early two thousands or late nineteen nineties or something like that. They were they had, they had every they people were not allowed to look underneath the table because if they had liquid nitrogen or something. And they've talked about how awesome their new CPUs were when you were only getting those speeds where you had protections turned off for some of the vulnerabilities that were attacking those chips. So the Alchemist is confirmed. So their first card is confirmed to contain. This is very exciting. And I know this is something you particularly were interested in, Michael, their AI technology that they're creating their own, which would compete with NVIDIA's DLSS or AMD's Fidelity FX. And they were showing its AI upscaling 480p footage to 4K resolution. What? And I'm telling you, the results were unbelievable. They took this, this footage and native 4K compared to their upscaled 480 and then compared that to 1080. And you could not tell the difference between the native 4K and the upscaled 4K. If, if what they're showing there is what this AI is actually going to do, it's really impressive stuff. That kind of blows my mind. Like I could see someone making AI to do 1080p to 4K. That makes sense. But 480p to, to 4K is like wow. Like that I don't I it's not that I don't believe it. I just don't I can't compute that right now. <laughs> so it's quite amazing. And Intel, you know, these these are the reasons why we like Intel. Intel has done amazing things for open source over the years. Just been consistently on top of their game in open source. The only other company recently that really does anything of interest in the video card market with open source would be AMD. Right. But Intel's always been better yeah. and always been superior in that realm. For decades. And worked. Yeah, and worked with the uh, distributions better and the developers better, and they just have a really solid reputation there. So I'm very excited. I want Intel to come in here and really upset the market because I think it will do great things for other operating systems out there, such as Linux, of course. And in addition, this card they're saying is capable of supporting hardware-based ray tracing, so you're not going to have be fall behind, though... I personally could care less if ray tracing happens or not. It's like, eh, does it have it? I don't know. So many games don't have it that it's really not something I care about. But eventually, everything will have ray tracing because everybody's hyped it up so much and you won't be behind if you have an Intel GPU because it's going to have that as well as variable rate shading and DirectX 12 Ultimate compatibility built in as well. So here's the thing that I think makes this so interesting is right now you have so many people who are still sitting in lines, sitting in shuffles, 
looking at giveaways to try to get their hands on a GPU. There, the current shortage of graphics cards continues to extend to next year, and Intel can release this in quarter one early of 2022, and this shortage is still going on. I think that no matter what, they're going to attract a ton of gamers and system builders and everybody else who are just desperate to get their hands on anything in the GPU space, which we saw with system builders throwing a DG1, which wasn't even meant for gaming, right. into their gaming machines just to put a GPU in the darn things. So from that aspect alone, if Intel can really ramp up and actually have the raw materials they need to get these cards onto shelves, I think they're going to win a lot of sales from the gaming market from that piece alone. That only works if they can keep them out of the hands of scalpers, because that was an issue we saw with the NVIDIA releases and the AMD releases, but scalpers was buying them up right out of the bat, and then you had to either wait in line for one to come on the shelf or pay absolutely absorbent prices for them. So please try and make sure when these go on sale, it's not the scalpers that went out in purchasing them. And really, that's on a lot of Intel negotiating with the retailers to make sure they're putting limits and things on the cars they can get. I think retailers are finally getting smarter, but there is no such thing as MSRP right now. If you go to a box store and try to buy one of these cards, whether it's NVIDIA, AMD, doesn't matter, there is no MSRP. I've not seen anybody selling them from MSRP. So even if you can get your hands on one in a box store, you're going to be paying three or $400 over MSRP. And this is thanks to the scalpers out there who have basically rose the prices to such an exorbitant rate and strained the supply chain so heavily that the companies, the, the box stores now feel completely justified in raising the prices even over what the MSRP is on these cards considerably, which is a shame. So in any case, I hope Intel really good luck in their launch coming up of Q1 2022. I am really excited about the names. I'm excited. They're excited about video games and gaming market, and they're trying to turn themselves back into a fun company again. And I will try to get my hands on one of these cards when they release, and we'll see how good it does. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying out your card. I mean, I'm still I'm still <laughs> working on the attic part, but... Wait a minute. What using, just happened? Yeah, I'm just going to come over and use your card. And try it. That's fine. Yeah, that's come on over. That's my that's my my way of being like I'm not indir indirectly being a hardware addict, right? That's close enough, I think. And I'm not going to say I'm going to run out and buy one. I want to see what the prices on the cards are first because I am very price for performance kind of thing. So it depends on what the prices are. But if the prices are good and I can actually get my hands on one. It might be what's in my system next. Oh, look at Wendy, Miss Pragmatic, about her purchases. <laughs> I just buy what I'm feeling. <laughs> That's the true And attitude. hide it from your wife. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> this episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up a PIN to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I have chose to use because it is open source. You can self-host it, there's security audits, and if you haven't checked out 
their new send feature. You absolutely should. It's really easy to use. But if you're like me, you're going to want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes in that premium account? You have one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about metering. This is one of those things that will help people get off auto or maybe help you make changes to your auto to get the better Never. picture you want. Yeah, I mean, what? Auto <laughs> is the best. Auto is king for most people that have a real camera. <laughs> auto focus, auto exposure, auto white balancing, auto whatever. That's my jam. I have to say, autofocus is quite nice. It's one of the auto features that I use quite regularly, though I do love my very old manual focus glass. There's nothing like, especially when you're taking pictures of your kids, without autofocus, there's probably no way to get most of those images. So autofocus there is great. But say you want to start setting some of the other things that are going on with your camera, and this is where choosing your metering can help. So now what is metering? When the light bounces back into the camera from whatever objects you're pointing it on, it's reading the amount of light that's coming in. This isn't something that was on older cameras. If you were on an old film camera, you were just kind of out of luck. If you were a professional photographer, you would use a light meter itself that it was built specifically for reading the amount of light that was coming in and it would tell you in stops or aperture size how much light was being seen in that particular area. There are some advantages when it comes to having a meter in your camera. And the three ones, the three metering types that you'll see is a matrix metering, that's the name for it in Nikon, or evaluative metering, that's the name for it for Canon. And this is basically breaking up the entire shot into a grid and saying, okay, these places are dark, these places are bright, and trying to find a middle ground. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. Especially depending on what your overall shot is. Say it's an evening sky, an evening landscape. Well, you're ground is going to be quite dark and your sky is going to be quite bright and the middle ground is going to be uh, somewhere muddy in the middle. Now let's say you went to a center weighted metering. So this is going to measure the amount of light that is coming directly into the center of the camera. This works as long as whatever the focus of your image is also in the center of the camera. But let's say you're doing some of the other techniques where your subject is over to the left third or the right third. Now it's not going to be accurately judging what the focus of your picture is. So my favorite version to use, the one that I basically use all the time, is spot metering. Now depending on how many focus points you have in your camera, I think mine has... 52 different focus points. And every time I put it on a different focus point, it will 
meter from where that focus point is. So when I push the focus button, I've selected a certain area where I want it to focus, and it's also metering the light off that. And this is great, especially for faces and skin tones, because that's what you want to be lit the best. That is what you want to be not only in focus, but not be blown up by light or not be too dark. And you can use this meter usually towards the bottom middle of your camera. If you're looking through that viewfinder, there'll be a zero in the middle and then left is dark and to the right is usually brighter. Check your own camera just to make sure, but you'll see a positive negative on either side. Now, if it is on the zero, that means that it is middle gray. That doesn't mean it's white. That means it's a middle gray color. And the further you go up on that scale on the positive, the brighter that thing will be. And the further you go down on the negative, the darker that thing will be. And as you're playing with it, you can say, okay, I'm taking a picture of my child. And this setting on my meter gives me the best color and lightness for them. If you're taking a picture of something else, say it's darker, you're taking a picture of something that's dark brown, you don't want your light meter, if that's what you're focused on, to be on zero. You're going to be, want it to be on the darker shade of the scale to preserve the actual color and value of that item. It's a fun thing to play with. You can really get some great images where your subject is perfectly lit, but everything else behind it is really dark or really bright and just kind of frames your subject. Next time you pick up your camera, check out the metering modes of your camera and play with them a bit. Is it possible to take the auto exposure and like the auto white balancing and then like set it and then lock it in, in most cameras or any cameras really? Especially my camera, the one I have, because I don't know. I, the I, only way to lock that would be if you have it set to manual. That's the only way you can have the exposure locked in. But on most cameras, you can go in and change specific settings about where the ISO will go. So if you don't want the ISO to get too big, say on your camera, if you go over a certain point, say 300, 500 on that light sensitivity, you can tell it, hey, don't go past this point. Because if it goes past that point, it gets grainy. You can tell it that you don't want it to go past a certain point for aperture, how much light is being let into the camera. And it really depends on the camera to tell you how much flexibility you have with those settings. But the only way to guarantee that that exposure never changes is to have it set on manual, period. Well, that's dang. out for me then. Yeah, dang. I have noticed that I, I've, you know, I've made a joke earlier about wanting the auto stuff to be just so I don't have to. But with the autofocus, I agree. It's amazing, especially with the Sony stuff, because I don't even know how that works because it's so good. But the auto exposure for the color and the light and stuff like that, it's gotten irritating a couple times because I've noticed that after I do a recording that I look at the different like segments that I put together, it switches a little bit. So I started trying to like put something in the frame so it would kind of like adjust to that every time. And yeah. uh, that has somewhat worked, but not really. So I do reluctantly want to control it manually. 
I just wish so you scary, guys Wendy. weren't so far away so that we could get together and I could do a one-on-one with you and your cameras on camera settings, and then you would be pros for your videos in manual. I know this is something we do need to set up because I just, there's so many different things to keep in mind. And I feel like the times that I've gone in manual mode and like, okay, I understand this and I'm going to start playing with stuff. All the pictures that I get that I think are good are horrific once I download them. <laughs> and so, you know, it, but Michael's right. Like there are issues that we're having when we're using, we're using our Sony mirrorless cameras as video cameras, as webcams, essentially for when we're doing live shows. And there are issues with sometimes focusing, but also the color balance in a room. And that changes rapidly based on the sun setting, depending on when we're recording or the light coming into the room and things. And automatic does a great job overall, but there are times where certain things, lights bouncing a certain way and you show up more pink than you want to be, or you show up, you know, just different shades that aren't your natural color, uh, which me is pure pale white because I don't go outside. And I really <laughs> want to highlight that pure pale whiteness and, and not look tan um, <laughs> artificially. So those are the things and reasons why going into manual would be really helpful. Uh, we're just going to have to get over our fear. If I'm doing a specific set with a certain set of lights, I will manually set a white balance for those shots so that my white balance is consistent across all of those images. And that's all done manually. It's the only way to have consistency across stuff. Manual okay. is there for a reason. That makes sense. And I also dread it completely. But in a situation where you have a scene lit by a lot of different color lights, for example, your background, like I have on my videos, I have a background that bounces off the wall that changes the color of the wall to when, whenever I choose to change it. And is it how do you do the white balancing on that or the exposure on that? Because it's going to be a different shade. I would do the white balance for your face and the lights that you're using to light you individually mm. and not the background. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Wendy. And I hope one day we do get to run into you at a conference or something. We'll bring our cameras. You can school us and then we will be. Not extraordinaires. I'd say probably like, what, prosumers, I guess? Pro not professionals. Definitely not. No, I but think we could be professionals in one day with Wendy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. we're just going to have yeah. to challenge Wendy to say we'll be you, you call me you mean and a great teacher in the same show. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Our 43rd episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Destination Linux Network. Head destinationlinux.network as soon as this show's over and check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time for another manually balanced story arc episode of Hardware Addicts.